Hey Star Wars fans, welcome to another episode of the Jedi Council podcast. Thank you very much uh, for finding us if this is your very first time. Um, we hope to keep you entertained for the next hour and a half-ish of everything and anything Star Wars. If this is your returning visit for the second, third, fourth, however many times you've listened to us before, welcome back. Uh, we are clearly doing something right to have your friendship, your loyalty uh, as part of the Jedi Council team. And of course, who am I? I am your host, Alex. So, yes, thank you very much for joining us. Um, I'm not alone this week. I have three other members of the Jedi Council with me uh, to go through uh, an interesting agenda. So who is on the line with me? First and foremost, my good buddy and brother in the force, Dave. Say hello, Dave. Hello, Dave. Hello. We have Mr. Contrary himself, Alistair Clark. Say hello, Ali. Roger, roger. <coughs> oh. <laughs> oh, God, he's derailing the podcast and we've only been going for a mi- one minute and ten seconds. Wonderful. Thank you for that, Ali. Uh, <laughs> and of course... The first lady of the Jedi Council, Miss Mera Ranger. Say hello, Mera. Hello, Mera. Hello. Mera, we missed you last week, um, where we got into way too much detail about the rise of Skywalker. How are you? Uh, we're doing well. Um, you know, there's uh, um, Dad's feeling a little bit better, um, but, uh, you know, we're trying to take precautions and not panic about uh, coronavirus, of course, but it's... Uh, doing what we can so it's uh you know just as long as he's feeling better and he's safe everything is pretty pretty good thank you miss you guys too. good good to hear hopefully he is on the mend as much as possible and yeah coronavirus is a really weird thing um i was supposed to be going to disney world in a couple of weeks where i was going to ride rise of the resistance for the first time but <laughs> yesterday president trump decided to ban anyone from the uk coming to the states so uh that's completely kiboshed my holiday, which is a bit annoying, but uh, very selfishly uh, talking about a holiday, whereas obviously people are getting sick. So let's, let's be real here. It's a, it's a good thing to have done, but uh, annoying in that respect. Mm-hmm. But what are we going to be talking about today, listeners? Well, for those of you that have been listening to us all year, you know that we kind of started off with a Mandalorian review after the first couple of episodes, and that kind of drifted by the wayside just because of life. Episode nine came out. Uh, and for those of you that listened to the last show, we'll know that we were thinking about trying to get some thoughts and opinions about The Mandalorian in there somewhere, but we didn't manage to get that done. However, we do have the four members of the Jedi Council who have seen every single episode of The Mandalorian. So therefore, hopefully, we're going to jump into that first and foremost. That is going to be the top of the agenda for this week, uh, a review about the show, the season one, um, all the episodes and what was in them, not necessarily uh, a complete episode review, uh, but hopefully give you our thoughts on what we liked, what we didn't like, any feelings towards the show. Uh, and then if we get some time at the end, we're going to have a quick conversation about the current uh, four-episode Bad Batch arc of season seven of The Clone Wars. So let's jump into The Mandalorian, guys. Um, uh, it finished in the US in December, right? Or was it January? Um, That's an last open year. question. Last year. Yeah, what? Yeah, it was last year. Yeah, it was, wasn't it? Yeah, um, <clears throat> and that was obviously running on the Disney Plus platform, um, which we are now at the point where Disney Plus is going to be launching in the UK in two weeks' time. So uh, I'm very looking forward to getting hold of these episodes again to watch them through uh, from start to finish again on my TV rather than on my iPad, like is what I was doing last time. Um, but um, we have got eight episodes, I think it was, in the first season of The Mandalorian 
which was which was a really good, interesting jump start to Star Wars on the small screen. So, first topic of conversation, guys. Star Wars on the small screen. What are we thinking now? I know we obviously touched on this previously in the episode nine kind of review, but now we can get into it a little bit more. You know, Dave, Mera, you guys were there in 77 when Star Wars came on to the big screen in the cinema, um, which is obviously where we all know Star Wars is loved and founded. But thoughts on how it's transitioned on, onto the small screen. Mera, what, what are your thoughts initially in finding Star Wars on the small screen? I well, I was really excited. I mean, I don't think I've made a secret that uh, I want to be on Mandalorian when I grow up and have R two D two forever, right up in the sunset. Um, I mean, the child is adorable, but I am loyal. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but um, I I love it. I love it. I think the feel uh, is definitely Star Wars. I mean, it's. Um, just the feel, the look, the um, uh, vibe, if you will. I, I I feel like I've just, yeah, I'm just watching something uh, in a different place, but the same galaxies, and it's just, um, I, I love it. I feel like it, it just fits in every way. Dave, gonna assume you're feeling the same, mate. Yeah. Yeah, um, not a lot really to add to that. It it carries the right tone. It carries the right feel to it. Um, I've had a, I've seen a couple of comments from other people who have said bits of it might be a bit dis- Disney esque. Um, uh, one one particular one was um, one one very particular one was after the Mandalorian cell that was um, that the Mandalorian is part of came to his rescue and helped him to escape. As he's um, flying away from the battle, one of the Mandalorians with a jetpack is flying alongside him and salutes him. Very much like Iron Man or Iron Patriot from Avengers. And it was just like, <laughs> yeah, I can see that. I can see that. Um... But I think that's a John Favreau carryover. I don't, I don't think. But once you start using people who have been familiar with other other franchises, you will get carryover between the franchises. And, and for me, I, I, it was a slight cheese, but I didn't dislike it. No, I, all in all, The Mandalorian is a very, very good successor to Star Wars on a small screen. Yeah, it's it's interesting that comment of, of Disney esque. When when you said that, I must admit, I'm sitting there thinking to myself, I wonder where you're going with that because it feels George Lucas Star Wars. It doesn't feel like a a, a kind of step away from that whatsoever. Now maybe that's the Dave Filoni influence. I'm not sure, but mm. then then you mentioned that particular scene, and I'm like, oh yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah, fair. I mean, at the time, I just thought it was pretty cool. <laughs> um, yeah. But then when you look back at it, you think, actually, yeah, that's very much like Iron Man, Iron Patriot, giving him the salute and whatnot. Yeah, okay, no, I get that. Um, but then I hadn't, that hadn't really occurred to me whatsoever up until you said that. Snap, it, it hadn't occurred to me until he said it, and then it was like, yeah, yeah I can actually see that. Yeah. Actually, I thought of the Rocketeer for two seconds. Ah. Which Another... Absolutely, another Disney property as well. Yeah, 
Yeah, is there is, is there a new film for that or something coming? There's rumours of some description, whether that be a reboot or or whatever. But yeah, there's definitely rumours of it of something Rocketeer coming. Um, there's been a few merch in the parks as well that I saw for the Rocketeer, which has not been done since whenever the film came out in the nineties or the eighties or whenever it was. Well, I guess now that Iron Man is dead in the the Marvel universe, maybe that creates an opening for Rocket Rocketeer. For our listeners, that's a massive spoiler. Sorry if you're yes. not familiar with <laughs> of what happened in Endgame. <laughs> it's twelve months old now. Yeah. That's, that's very true. That's very true. Mr. Contrary, what do you think about the way that um, the small screen is taken to Star Wars and vice versa? First of all, the council is now in session. Oh God. <laughs> I, I think that we need to apologise to all listeners just for Ali generally. I think we need to apologise for them not understanding what was happening because until I made that announcement, the council was not in session. So I don't even know oh. what's there. I'm, I'm kind of thinking the fact that we've had a seven-minute conversation before you said it gave away that the council was well and truly in session. Uh, no, not, not until I finished <laughs> No, no, no. no. Uh, anyway, oh. yeah. So... Uh, so for the Mandalorian on the small screen and Disney doing it, I think it makes just so much sense. Um, I think I spoke about this quite a bit last week, but um, I, I, I just think it's the way people consume things has changed so much. I mean, if, if you think about, you were talking about the coronavirus earlier, I've been hankering for like sort of more episodic TV more than ever from something which I really enjoy. So I think if Disney Plus, for example, had dropped this week in the UK, they'd made an absolute killing. Mm. There's not much else to do. And I think people's habits are changing. So I was thinking about this. For many films that I watch now on my TV, I, I don't tend to concentrate all the way through. I pick up my phone and look at that and do all kinds of stuff. Whereas a, a TV show for 30 minutes to an hour... I, I properly concentrate for and that might just be me and a lack of attention but I wonder if people's viewing habits have changed and, and so in a cinema you give it full on attention but otherwise maybe at home you don't do so much I don't know but I've, I've well, been, it, go on no I was going to say it's interesting you say that when you when you think back to our review show for episode 9 and you kind of hit an hour on the head there we said that episode 9 probably should have been about 3 hours long to fit everything in that needed to yeah I bet if we'd have done episode nine as a TV serial show, we could have easily got 10, 10 episodes out of it. Because, I mean, Mandalorian, you know, some of the episodes were like 35 minutes. Some of them were like 45 minutes. Let's say we chopped, chopped up episode nine into 10 episodes of 35 minutes. Mm. That's 300 minutes, 350 minutes of film. Yeah. Which is, what, five hours? Yeah. Which is a hell of a longer time to fill out a story. So I think the story really does get fleshed out more than a movie because it has the benefit of time, but arguably some of the episodes were a little bit filler esque in my opinion as well. And so Um, just to go into your, that's your point though, Alex, about uh, the film and running time. mm. We've been lucky enough to have advanced copies of the rise of Skywalker book. I've, I've read it and Dave's read it. And I think had they gone along the lines of creating the book that I've read 
as a film, which probably would have been that three-hour film, it mm. would have been so much better and satisfying in every possible way. The, the book is excellent. We're going to talk about that another time in another podcast, I know. But I think we were right. I think we were right because it really fleshes out some propositions and there's a lot of um, uh, situations which don't make sense in the film but make complete sense in the book. Uh, tremendous job done by Ray Carson on that. Um, so, uh, yeah, I don't know what you think about that, Dave, but, but I definitely think it should have been a longer film. No, I, I agree. Without, without this becoming a, a Last Jedi, no, sorry, not a Last Jedi, a, a Rise of Skywalker podcast. Uh, I was going to say, we've done enough of the Last yeah, Jedi, I know, mate. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> um, sorry, without this becoming a Rise of Skywalker uh, podcast, um, and, and just want to say a quick big thank you, big, big, big thank you to Delray UK um, for sending us the, the advanced copies as well. Really appreciate that, and, and it was fantastic to, to read the book. Um, but I agree with you, Ali. Um, Ray Carson has done a, a phenomenal job in the book to really expand upon some of the things that I was head-scratching after watching it. I'm, I'm now of the opinion that I'm looking forward to going and watching the movie again. I'm waiting for it now to come out on, on Blu-ray, and I'm looking forward to watching it on Blu-ray again. Even though I was saying just a week ago on our last podcast that I was a little bit jaded about the last year, uh, about uh, the rise of Skywalker, because it 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 made for me it made the entire trilogy, the entire sequel trilogy, superfluous mm-hmm. to the original trilogy and the prequel trilogy it just felt like it wasn't needed. <clears throat> but then from reading the novel, um, no, it, it brought relevance back to the movie. So I'm looking forward to watching the movie again. Uh, yeah, I, w- I won't go into it, but I'm the exact same, Dave. I'm looking forward to looking at the things that I've read in the book and trying to pick it out in the film, which isn't the right way to be doing it, of course, but it, it, it will make it better for me, I think, as well. And for our listeners, you can look forward to hearing that podcast once the embargo has been lifted and the book is actually up for public release because Delroy UK were very kind enough to send us some preview copies uh, of the book. Um, <clears throat> and I'm pretty sure when we get into the, to the meat and potatoes of what the book is, comparing it to the movie and whatnot, should be a, a good podcast. So listen out for that. Hopefully by the end of this week, in and around the release date of the book, which is around the 19th of March, might be the 20th of March, give or take, because um, it'll actually give me another day or two to finish reading it, because I'm only up to chapter eight. Uh, <clears throat> so I'm a little bit behind the two of you. <laughs> That's not and, a problem whatsoever. And then getting back to The Mandalorian. Uh, <laughs> oh, yes. Um, the, the actual topic of the conversation. The actual topic of the conversation. So for the previous listeners will know, we tend to divert quite a lot. Uh, and if this is new, if you're new to the podcast, uh, get used to it. It's going to happen quite a lot. Uh, but anyway, so the transition from big screen to little screen is is a is a unanimous thumbs up uh, across the council. Um, I'm going to speak on behalf of Andy because he's never seen it, but I'm, I reckon he'll like it anyway. Um, so I think that's that's five thumbs up for us uh, across the board. And and obviously the next thing that kind of follows on uh, from the transition from the big screen to the little screen is how it feels like a proper Star Wars show. Um, you know, in, in some of the podcasts where we talk about any of the other movies, there's been a, a continual want to have the, the story, the settings, the people, the characters to be 
quintessentially Star Wars. And I think this show hits the nail on the head for, for, for every single character that, that, that we meet. And, and Mary, you kind of did touch on how cute the child was. Um, I'm going to try and refrain from calling him Baby Yoda, uh, but I'm sure I will, I will slip up at some point. Um, but, you know, it let, I'm gonna ha- I want to try and save the conversation around the child for in a minute. But taking that aside, Mera, it hit all the all the nails on the head. It pressed all the buttons when it comes to the look and feel of Star Wars, right? Yes, absolutely. There wasn't too much about it that I didn't like. I think I could probably a couple things. Other than that, I really, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and Dave, you know, when when you sit down and obviously being the artist of the team, you know, your your eyes are quite catching all the visuals as as we all are to a certain extent. But again, it does hit everything that you want from Star Wars show, right? Well, it has the look, the feel, the <clears throat> the, the grittiness, the the yeah yeah the imagery is just so Star Wars. I, I tell you what, actually, before we get into it, let, let me just set the scene because I didn't do that at the start of the show. So, The Mandalorian is set five years after the return of the Jedi. So, the Death Star 2 has been blown up. We believe the Emperor is dead um, in light of the last, uh, in the light of the Rise of Skull, because that's a very important thing to emphasize, we believe. Um, but there are still remnants of the Empire floating around there are clearly stormtroopers that are there as we know from the show but effectively this bounty hunter mandalorian um is five years after that particular setting but again it does have the look and feel maybe it's the planets that they've chosen to 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 go to i don't know but it did feel as if it was proper star wars and and again as soon as you see the first episode you get that look of and feel of the um space western um as, as star wars used to be called back in the 70s as well so it for me the gunslinger thing is is very much appropriate for this particular show and we definitely get that uh, and you can definitely see the influences coming in from the shows i didn't mean to tread on your toes that they were talking about the looking for but i needed to position where we were with this particular show no 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 not at all um just leading on from that um the original Star Wars, the, the original setting for Star Wars was obviously Tatooine, and that's the first mm. planet that you really come across. And that was out on the Outer Rim. And the feel of Tatooine <clears throat> is very much translated to the Mandalorian. Mm-hmm. Very much. 100%. Ali, yeah. hits all your they... buttons as well, right? Sorry? Hits all your buttons as well, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, that the, it went to locations as well, which had, as we've discussed before, the sort of familiarity about it, but in a different and interesting way. So today's point, when they go to Tatooine and you see them in the cantina, um, it's kind of it, it, a lovely, warm, fuzzy feeling you, you get with it. Um, and, and I think there is there is genuine warmth in the character action, which is amazing because the Mandalorian himself obviously hardly speaks. You never see his face, but he's got a real presence. I think, I think the actor mm. does an incredible job as a lead person just through um, the physicality of his performance aligned with the, with the, um, the backgrounds. I think, I think it's a, it's a stunning performance and sort of visual identity for the Mandalorian. 
Yeah, so let's quickly jump into Pedro Pascal's um, <clears throat> characterization there of, of the Mandalorian. And I think you hit the nail right on the head where we never see his face. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, he doesn't take the helmet off unless unless he has to, you know. Um, and it's it, it's very it's difficult. That, that is the way. It is the way. Yeah. Um, and that is it, one of the, you know, uh, as long as said that again, Ali. Even when a lady asks him to. <clears throat> Even when, well, yeah, yeah. You know, he keeps his helmet on because he's, he's trying to stay in line with the way of, of that particular clan and whatnot. And it must be very difficult as an actor to try to portray a character when obviously the face is incredibly important to uh, facial expressions, to dictate how a character's feeling and, and stuff like that. And uh, you've got to praise the way Pedro Pascal has actually done that because not being able to express your face, you have to do it in other ways, whether that be hand gestures, the way your body language is and whatnot. And he's done an absolutely cracking job um, of making the Mandalorian feel human, if that makes sense. You know, when we see him at the start of episode one, where he he's in that cantina, he's getting his bounty. He's taking out some of the other guys in the room. He looks like an absolute um, hero in that respect. But then obviously he has the interactions with the child. And as we all know, at the end of the first episode, <clears throat> he basically takes out IG-11 because IG-11 was going to take out the child. So, but I don't know, at that moment, there was something that made me think he's not going to do it. I don't know. There was something about the way his character was. And I don't know what it was, but I don't know if you guys felt this as well. Dave, you know, in that particular scene anyway, I, I just thought, he, he he's changing his mind, even though you couldn't actually see his face. Yes, but from what you'd seen previously with mm. the other bounties that he'd captured and, and whatnot, he'd not been portrayed as a particularly... He may be a bounty hunter, he may be a gun for hire, but that doesn't make him a villain as such. Um... He's if if he's bringing in people who've committed crimes initially, and that's that's the way it seems to be portrayed. And he gives them the choice of dead or alive. It's it's not a case of he kills them first and drags the the, the carcass back. So what he does at the end of episode one, where he makes a decision that the baby, um, the the child, isn't going to be killed. That, that I, I felt that that was in keeping with what we'd seen with him so far. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and his characteristic kind of continues like that, doesn't it? You know, throughout the whole, um, <clears throat> throughout the whole season. Um, in particular, the, there's the episode where he lands, I can't remember on the name of the planet, but it's where he meets Cara Dune, um, and obviously he then takes sanctuary, as it were. I just dropped my phone, which is why there's a lot of background noise. Apologies, listeners, for that. Um, he, he lands on that particular planet um, where That's he's taking... old sanctuary. Oh, is that what it's called? Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, I totally meant that, obviously. Um, so he takes sanctuary on, on that planet, and he kind of becomes part of the, the family to a certain extent. So, uh, Well, that uh, again, I might link it into other Star Wars things. That linked very strongly to me to how we saw some of the things happen in the Clone War cartoons. Um, in fact, <laughs> just just before we came onto this recording, um, 
William, my eldest, had just been sat in the living room watching episodes, old episodes of the Clone Wars. And he was actually watching the story arc that had Embo in it um, and the other mercenaries. And the Jedi fell into a group where um, Embo and a group of mercenaries were being paid by a small group of villagers to protect them from Honda. Hondo, sorry. Hondo, uh, yeah. Because he was a pirate and they were looking to raid them for their um, harvest, which was worth a lot of money. And that that episode and the way that they trained the 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 the, the people living in the village, how to defend themselves, how to protect themselves, is very in keeping with what the episode Sanctuary was. That's interesting. I hadn't, hadn't made that made that connection. Yeah, yeah, no, I see what you mean. Yeah. And again, it's kind of surrounding the whole bounty hunter thing and, you know, Embo, I thought Embo was pretty cool with his um, hat that he used to wear. Um, kind of reminded me of a character from... Uh, there was a character from Big Trouble in it in China that had a hat that was like that, and again the whole martial arts thing. Uh, but I'm again I'm diverting way out of the conversation. Um, but yeah, but of course that that particular episode is where we get to meet another important character of the show in in Cara Dune, um, and she's she's become quite. She's got a bit. I don't know if you guys have seen this in the fandom, but she's got a bit of a cult following. Um, and I've actually seen, and, and Ali and I the other day were, were just like catching up, and there was a, a, a vlog that, that I saw where um, the host on it, on this particular vlog um, was attending the Star Wars Day at Sea on, on the Disney Cruise Line. And she had a Cara Dune t-shirt. And I was like, I've never never seen a Cara Dune t-shirt, but she's clearly that made, made a bit of an impression. And without going incredibly stereotypical here, Mera, I'm going to angle this question to you first and foremost, but um, obviously Cara June is this ex-military, ex, now ex-stormtrooper, you know, but she's quite, quite a presence and, and for, for a, a quite a strong female character in the show. Yeah, no, I really like her. Um, I like how she's portrayed and how she's, um, it just seems really natural. And she kind of... Um, I don't know. I like that she sees through uh, through him. I mean, he's not just a bounty hunter. He he's he's got a moral code. He's got a sense of right and wrong, and um, and it comes through with like not turning around and you know him accepting her. And I don't know. I really like the dynamics between them. She's wonderful, not only beautiful but powerful and mm. believable. Like, I want her to have my back in a fight. <laughs> but that's a really interesting word that you use, though, Mara, believable. And that, I think that goes to, towards, um, oh, who's the actress that plays her? What's her name? Uh, Gina Carano, that's it. She she makes the character again. Maybe it's just the acting in this whole show seems to be pretty good, but she really adds the level of humanity to the character to make it feel like she's got a bit of angst towards the Empire. Um, but Nevertheless, if if you know if her back's up against the wall, she's going to come out swinging, um, which which is a, a really good way to have that characterization, especially in in the way that she is. Um, so I think calling her believable is a, yeah, that's a that's a really good turn of phrase there, Mira. Yeah, I, I, I really like that actually. Um, Ali, Kara, um, Dune, yeah. I wouldn't want I wouldn't want to step up to her in a fight. No, absolutely not. For all the <laughs> 
all the reasons Mera kind of described. It, there's um, the, the, there's a power about her again in terms of physicality, but there's there's much more than that. Obviously, she's got this backstory. Um, we think it was in the New Republic. Is that right? And not the Empire. Yeah, she was a sh- she was a, a rebel mm. shock trooper. Shock trooper, yeah. So, yeah. so she's really highly trained. She's obviously got a really interesting backstory. Someone who the Mandalorian who doesn't particularly trust people does trust. Mm. Um, and and I, so I thought she added a lot as the sort of uh, leading female in, in the in the Mandalorian. Yeah, I really liked her. Yeah, yeah. I think it's a good team. I think it's a good team. Yeah. That's right. And and I don't know if you guys felt the same, but at the end of that episode, when they kind of went their separate ways, I don't know if you guys thought this as well, but as it ended, I was like, "Is that all? Are, are we literally never going to see this woman again?" Because she felt yeah. like such a an important character. She had quite a big build up in the marketing before it became like live. But when the episode ended, I was thinking, "Oh come on, we can't be the end. This can't be the end of her." Um, but then, of course. Um, we'll, get to the, the final episodes for this particular show, but she obviously then came back, which to me, I thought was a, was a huge relief to a certain extent, guys. What, do you, what did you guys think, Dave? I, no, I agree. I think one thing that they did, which you only realise by the end of the show, and, and something that we've touched on previously about the show, was it, it had a feel of the old-fashioned, I'm going to use the term old-fashioned there, the old-fashioned TV shows that we probably all grew up with, where each episode was a self-contained story in its own right. So if you look at a lot of TV shows that are streaming these days, the TV show goes over the entire season. Hmm. And so you don't get resolution of the story until either the end of the season, or not even at the end of the season, it might carry into the next season. Whereas... Older TV shows, such as, and I'm going to use a few classics here, such as Airwolf, such as um, Night Rider, The A-Team. Yeah, yeah. They were self-contained shows. There might have been a long play within the TV show, such as, for instance, The A-Team were always attempting to try and find a way to, to prove that they were innocent of the crimes that they didn't commit. Um there was always in Airwolf, there was always the long game was the fact that he was looking after an aircraft that the US government really wanted to get back. So so there's always this long game, but each episode is is a self-contained story. And we saw that in The Mandalorian, which again I think is is perhaps linking back to many to, to the TV shows that we all watched when we were younger. And I think that's also something that's made it feel more familiar and something that that we've enjoyed just because this this style of TV show is something that we've all grown up with. Um but one thing I did like about it was that by the end of the show or the end of the season, they'd gone full circle and, and everything mm. that he'd gone through over the course of the the TV season wrapped back up into the last couple of episodes. And everybody that had had an important part in the story through the, the, the seven episodes previously were all involved in episode eight, if that, that makes sense. 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I did like the way characters kind of came back uh, to your point there. You know, in the final two episodes, you know, we saw what happened to IG-11. And guys, for the, I should have said this at the start of the show, we're going to go massively into spoiler territory, by the way, uh, for, for, for the whole season. So uh, if you haven't watched it all, you might want to press pause, go and watch it, and then come back. Okay, now you're back. Let's carry on. Um, but when you think of what happened to IG-11, you know, um, the Mandalorian took him out at the end of season one. Uh, I must admit, at that point, again, I was thinking, oh, man, that can't be the end of IG-11. Because, again, he had quite a bit of build-up in the marketing before the show. And then, obviously, to see him come back um, at the end uh, for season episode seven, I think it was, when we saw him with the character that um, Nick Nolte played. Nick Nolte, yeah whose name I can't remember, but I have spoken, man. Um, and again, when he kind of brought him back, and then obviously to see that particular character come back uh, as well, to your point, Dave, it's good that these kind of recurring characters did kind of come back and have that crescendo in, in, in episode seven and eight. But I don't know about you guys, the one character that I was quite disappointed to a certain extent um, was the character that was played by Ming-Na Wen. Um, again, built up to be quite quite a big character uh quite a big a lot of you know uh, input into the actual show and then she's one and done now at the end of the episode of the fifth episode i think it is we see her we see her get well what we believe to be killed guys do you think she's actually dead or do we think she'll come back for season two ali so, first of all, I do know the name of Nick Nolte's character, but I don't want to say it because I think it'll be worse than Error Era. It's well, it, will it really be up there with... with it's it might be on par with Shimmy. Shimmy! <laughs> it's either Quill, Quill, it's Quill, 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 that's it, Quill. But then I was like, but isn't that from... Quill? Yeah. Anyway, yes. So, sorry, Alex. What, what was the question? I've, I've lost myself in that. <laughs> Ming Na Wen. Ming Na Wen's character. Um, do you think she's dead, or do we think we'll see her again in season two? I don't think anyone's ever really dead in in Star Wars. I mean, oh. <laughs> Palpatine came back. <laughs> sorry. Yes, Star, Star Wars brought back Darth Maul that was chopped in half. Yeah, brought back Palpatine that was killed down a shaft of an exploding planet, mini planet thing. So yeah, no fair, fair, okay. Sorry, but do you think she'll come back for season two? I, I or would you like to see her come back for season two? I, I I think that they have successfully 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 brought around characters who work well together that people care about. I mean, some of the characters that were killed off definitely, I think, at the end, like Quill. Um, yeah. You know, I can't see how he comes back, for example. But, um, you know, IG-11, IG there's rumours that he's definitely back in the next series, which has finished filming, of course, already. Season two. Yes. Um, so, I, yeah, I, I think... I mean, they did a really good job in establishing it. I think they left it in a place, though, where they have a lot of possibilities and they may choose to go in a completely new direction with the series and kind of just leave what's happened behind. They have that option and they may well do that. 
So they've got it. They've got it in their back pocket if they need it, basically. Exactly. You can bring them back, like mm. I don't know, even flashbacks. I can imagine that happening. So was it Bubba Fett that found her and was going to take care of her? Mm. <laughs> Good question, Mera. Oh, yeah. When when the when that scene came and that and that and that person, whoever that may be, um, kind of took her away. There was that. Hold on a minute. That looks very familiar. <laughs> Um, it's a Mandalorian. I, I'd, I'd love it if that was Boba Fett. I think that'd be awesome. Why not Tatooine? Well, you know, yeah. Well, again, to Ali's point, you know, stranger things have clearly happened in Star Wars. That's uh, my theory. so sticking to it. You know, <laughs> let's bring somebody else back from the perceived dead of, of Boba Fett from the Sarlacc pit. So you know, we know he escaped it in the expanded universe and whatnot. Um, but nevertheless, yeah. Uh, I'm down for that. I'd, I'd love to see Boba Fett in season two. I but, personally think it would be a mistake, but I think it probably will happen. That was going to be my question is, would bringing Boba Fett, this icon of the fandom, into season two, would that benefit or hinder the show? Or would people be focusing way too much on him rather than the actual real Mandalorian in this particular show? Or it could be its own show, a part of this. We could have a spin-off Boba Fett show. Why not? Or, 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 I think or they would have done Fett that movie. first of all, though, rather than go down the Mandalorian route, because we know the film was in pre-production and got cancelled. I don't know. So I, I can't, I can't see a spin-off of that happening. I just, I just think it brings up too many problems. It's that, it's that classic thing of, of Star Wars being so inward-looking that it keeps repeating itself. And I know you, you say that there are certain things that have to happen to make it a Star Wars film. But I don't think you have to keep going back to the same well. And regurgitate the same characters. Exactly. It's a bit like... Um, so... This is book stuff again. But like when you when you think about what was the point of the stiff troopers, for example, in the last film? They, they slightly changed the trooper character and then just ignored it. And like, it's just like, just, just leave this stuff alone now. Just, just come up with new ideas. Which is why I'm really glad that the High Republic's going the way it is. Mm. Because it's a whole new era. Era. Of, um, <laughs> yes! Of, hopefully of hopefully it's not an era. <laughs> it, it definitely, by the sounds of it, could be an error if they bring back Boba Fett. Yeah. Well, no, but for some people, people will love it. So it's like, mm. it's a very personal opinion to me. And I get why people would love that. And, and as I say, I think I think that it probably will happen, but I just think it'll be one of those things of, do you know what? You've actually established a really interesting new Mandalorian character who's not Boba Fett. So why are you going back to that well? And I, I can't remember her name, sorry, but the sort of leader of, of the clan of, of the Mandalorians. You know, there's, there's all these kind of theories about mm. was she trained by Darth Maul? Was she part of that? Obviously, when he was in charge of Mandalore, is, is there a, is there some relationship there that could be explored? I'm interested in finding out about these new characters, not someone who I thought was dead 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. Well, it's, it's funny because when you think about it, um, <clears throat> Disney do have a panache for doing that. At the end of Solo, we see the return of... Darth Maul. At the end of Rogue One, we see Darth Vader in that scene, which has kind of dominated a lot of the thoughts of Rogue One, but I'm not getting into that. Um, and then, of course, at the end of Rise of Skywalker, we see the return of Palpatine. So they, they, 
they clearly have a thing for bringing back loved characters. So, but I don't. But the thing with the Mandalorian, Alex, which which differentiates itself from much of the Disney era films, other than era, the, era. is that no rolling with it. Is that the Mandalorian <laughs> was universally loved by everyone? People didn't have bad words to say about it, and people before the rise of Skywalker came out seem to be getting back together in many many ways and enjoying star wars so i don't get why you'd go back and open that and have loads of people once again saying what is the point of this makes it star wars again same storyline inward looking all the same criticisms and then other fans saying oh but it's nostalgia it's great well i think go on sorry mara no you don't have to go back it'd be nice if they don't go back I mean, but that doesn't say that, you know, they're going to try to get the same formulas because they want everybody and you can't please everybody. So it would be, I wish that they hadn't, uh, and don't shoot me, um, I would have done quite well without this sequel trilogy. Yeah. I didn't want anybody to come back. We had kind of an ending. Um, You could use the folklore of the Skywalkers and you could have had a wonderful story without all this bringing back or whatever. I just, I'm not saying that they aren't good movies. I'm just saying that that's the typical, well, we've got to please everybody. You know what? You just cannot make a Star Wars story and allude to heroes and allude to what was established because that's what we love. But we also want to love something else. Speaking as an original person that was there at the beginning, I, I want more of these stories that don't rehash but then it's kind of almost predictable because they're trying to please everybody of course that's just my opinion <laughs> I, I think i think dave and i agree with you 100 percent on that and yeah. that's kind of what we've been talking about recently is, is that exact same thing that that i i mean sorry to bring up star trek again but dave's watching it i don't know if you've seen any of picard but the yeah. way that they've managed to to in the last couple of weeks in particular bring back old next generation characters they're an essential part of the storyline but they are not then they're just so on the side it's a new storyline with a new crew but it was lovely to see that the warmth and love between those old main characters was still there and that explained where they'd gone in their life and what had happened and why they weren't part of it and it was just like why could star wars not have achieved this i I just i will never understand it star trek have done it Mm, they've so, done it. They've, they've only done it with this one TV show. They've not done it with anything else. I think. I think Star Trek. Well, well, I was going to say. I, I think Star Trek have have had a lot of failures to try and do that. Because if you have a look at their cinematic universe, I don't think that 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 was a very good return to the Star Trek galaxy i think they were good films but i wouldn't say they were great star trek movies and and similarly the star trek discovery is a very different storyline a very different way of doing things and i don't think it adds anything to what we'd already seen from star trek if anything they undoes things that we've seen in other star trek so picard i think it's working and it's been done well but star trek have had failures from a fan perspective let's say before they got there yeah i 100 agree with that but i think picard is the closest you can get to seeing 
original characters like we've seen in the sequel trilogy. Because because all the other ones have either been new or basically a re- reboot in the cinematic. Yes. So yes. this is the first time we've seen a character 20 years down the line, like we've seen with the sequel trilogy in, in Star Wars, and caught up with them. But they successfully created a new universe, taking some old stuff, improving on it. And, and that's what... Sorry, we're getting really sidetracked here, Alex. I appreciate that. But the, the point is is that they managed to achieve... I just felt warmth and love between those characters, which I didn't get in the sequel trilogy from the big three because they were never together, which we've discussed loads of times before, blah, blah, blah. I'd, I'd agree. So, I'd agree. <clears throat> so taking well, I, that... I was gonna say, sorry, 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 sorry. Um, I'm, I'm not really going to carry on with the Star Trek thing. It was actually going to go back to Star Wars here. Um, I think the problem to some extent, sits within Lucasfilm. Because, and to, to, to link into what Mary said, they're trying to be all things to all fans. And they can't. And, and it's, it's a very difficult shit to steer. Because on the one hand, they know how much legacy they're carrying, and they know how much of, of how much history the fans have with the brand and how much they've engaged with it so there is probably a very strong element within lucasfilm i won't even use the term disney because i don't think it is disney i think it is lucasfilm there's a very strong element within lucasfilm who are looking at it and saying we need to really tap in to this passion this love this nostalgia that the fans have got for star wars and the easiest way of doing that is to regurgitate existing people, existing situations, because fans love what's familiar. But then you you flip that over, and it's a case of if if you attempt to use what's familiar, but you don't use it in the way that the fans possibly expect or would want it to be used, or, dare I say it with The Last Jedi, just so badly mangled, that it alienates your fans, then that causes you even more problems than, than not using it in the first place. So, so I think it, it, part of the issue is the, the, the fact that there is multiple camps within Lucasfilm about what Lucasfilm need to do. Um, and some people want to go into new directions and new ideas and, and take new characters and make it brand new. And The Mandalorian is potentially a, a good... Um, example of that, despite some of the carryovers, the fact that you saw the the, the, the dark saber at the end, there there is carryovers to what we've seen before. Yeah, but it is a brand new story, and it isn't a brand new situation. <coughs> it is being handled in a brand new way, and so the, the fans, there's enough nostalgia in the way it's made, not necessarily in who is in it. If that makes sense. Yeah. So. I to that as well, Alex. Just, because, <laughs> just because I, I think you're right, Dave. And if you look at to go back to where we say the Mandalorian, they go to Tatooine twenty years on. You know, it, it's the same base they land in. It's the same cantina, but but the situation has moved on. So you, you got the nostalgia, but in a new way. And I really liked how they did that. Yes. Yes. Well, I didn't. I didn't like how the sand people were handled in that episode. Sorry, Alex. 
<laughs> no, it's, it's it's funny because I wanted to t- take something that Mary said earlier, where there's the idea that we want something new and we want something that's familiar. And Dave, you kind of touched on it as well, where the idea is that you have something that's really familiar to you, but you put it in a certain in a certain way that is then either really liked or hated, depending on your point of view. And where I want to take this is something that has become universally loved in this show or even outside of this show, it's become a phenomenon, that's the only way I can describe it, is the child or Baby Yoda, whatever you want to call it. Now, <clears throat> Baby Yoda has become this, this incredibly popular thing that even if you don't know what the Mandalorian is, you will know what Baby Yoda is, for the most part. And, <laughs> you know, it's, it's taking the idea of something new. We've never seen a Yoda creature species other than him and Yaddle from The Phantom Menace. So this is a new character, but done with something that is incredibly familiar. Now, is this where Disney have gone, let's just get in there, something really cute to sell it? Now, maybe, maybe, maybe not. I don't know. But when you look at the way that the child, Baby Yoda, has been received both within the Star Wars fandom and outside of it, it's absolutely mental. In my opinion, it literally doesn't make any sense because you've got the Ewoks from Return of the Jedi that are cute, adorable, furry things. You've got Chewbacca. Oh, I know he's a bit different, but nevertheless. And then you had the Porgs from The Last Jedi. But the baby Yoda stroke, the child, has taken the concept of cuteness and adorability and completely turned it up to 10. But it's, it's strange because when you listen to everything that George Lucas has said prior to him kind of selling Disney, uh, selling to Disney um, with the prequels, he didn't want to explore the species of, of Yoda and what, what his species were. We don't even know what they're called, which is why everyone's calling this particular character Baby Yoda, because it looks like a child of Yoda. But it's such a strange thing to have exploded from this series. Now, is it simple enough to say it's because he's cute and adorable? Is it easy enough to say it's because the Mandalorian has saved him and wanted to protect him? Or, within the fandom community anyway, it's like, what is going on? How the hell is this a Yoda species? Or is it just all three put together? Open question to the floor. (laughs) Probably all three together. But the mystique of the species is, I think, what draws fans, older fans, in. like, okay, we've had Yoda, he just popped up, where is he from? I mean... Maybe it's gained a new interest in that. I mean, you cannot deny that the child is absolutely adorable and mischievous um, and powerful. And to see the power that he displays with his raw um, connection to the Force, um, being so young and yet 50 years old. So, I mean, it's, uh, it's something that we can't figure out, pigeonhole put into, I mean, there's this itty-bitty thing that is very powerful. <laughs> and he has um, connected himself with the Mandalorian and vice versa, eventually. Um, but, um, you know, I don't think that the child would have trusted the Mandalorian or... Uh, I mean, at first, you, you don't know. I mean, oh, who is this? I mean, everybody's <laughs> saying that. Yeah, I think it's all three, but I... It's going to be curious as to where this ends in the, in the, you know, the finding his people. I'm intrigued, for sure. Which leads to the next question of, is it 
his people, or as a lot of people are assuming based on that um, scientist from the first episode, is he a clone? And seeing the way things have gone with the rise of Skywalker, mm. would oh. cloning be a surprise? I don't know. Uh, oh, God. But would he, but does that negate um, or um, debunk, is that debunked by uh, Kuil, uh saying that he's not a, what is it, a strand cast? Or is that something totally different? Okay, maybe. Good question. <laughs> Not sure. <laughs> See, the, uh, and that's so. There's stuff in the book, Alex, which makes me think the clone thing is more likely. Hmm. Okay, because of everything, the way in the direction that that, that Lucasfilm was taken. Clones and uh, bloodlines and all kinds of stuff. Yeah. I mean, we don't. So, why is it impossible to have them just be natural? It, it definitely isn't. It's just it's because the insignia on the scientists were from the clone yeah. of the Camino. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So that's where that comes from. And then this sort of obviously the nice tie to the rise of Skywalker was the fact that he had this ability to heal, which Ray also had. Which, by the way, is again nicely explained in the book, which wasn't in the film. Um, yes. <laughs> the best who haven't read the book. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the of times sorry, sorry, Mara. Sorry. That's okay. Um, but but it makes a lot of sense to me how he could be more likely a clone. And my sense is is that he will be used in the future with regard to cloning stories that may have impact in the future timeline. Uh, I don't know. I think. They definitely had an interest in him from a cloning perspective, um, which is why this 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 doctor was after him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and ideally, they wanted him alive, not dead. Yeah. So for me, that was because they were looking to take something from him. But we know that because if, from the reveal at the end, who that scientist was working for. And I guess that that scientist was working for Palpatine Sith's cultist. And maybe he wanted the samples from this child. Exactly, so that's where I'm going with this. Yeah. Not necessarily the child being a clone. But from like I said they wanted the samples. I think they say that in the in the episode. Yes. Yes, they do. Yeah. So yeah. that's where I'm going with this. Where I think actually, long term, this is going to. It's difficult to talk about because you haven't read the book. <laughs> but, but it will have... But, I know. <laughs> but it, it will have some impact in the science behind the return of the Emperor, would be my guess. Mm, um, no, you've mentioned that. I can see that. But you wouldn't know that if you haven't read the book. Once again, wouldn't know that. <laughs> no. Mm. <laughs> Sorry, Alex. <laughs> no, I, to be fair, Mara, I'm the same as you. I'm not even up to that part yet. So uh, let, let's just move on from the book. Uh, <laughs> we'll get to that in the reveal show uh, whenever we do it. But um, the child, I mean, it's interesting because we see the false strength 
of the child in a couple of different ways. The way the child saves the Mandalorian, I think, in the second season, second episode, the the way it, it behaves, and and this, that, and other, and it makes me think that how well, if it is a clone, let's just explore that conversation for a second. But how on how on earth has somebody got the DNA of Yoda? to create a clone of Yoda. Now, I've read fan theories left, right, and center. Some of them make kind of sense until you think about the timeline. So the one that stood out for the most part for me was at the end of Revenge of the Sith, Yoda fights Palpatine. He drops his cloak before escaping, and therefore Palpatine had his cloak. So his cloak would have had his DNA on it. And I read when I read that, I was like, you know what? That, that actually makes a little bit of sense. But then you realize that the, the, the child is 50 years old. Now, if we put that into the context of the movies and, and, and the timeline, because this movie is this TV show set five years after Re- Return of the Jedi, that's mm-hmm. nine years after A New Hope, which is then 20. So New Hope is what, 22 years after The Phantom Menace? No. Had the nine, so this this no it's no it's longer than it's longer than that because it's it's about nineteen years to Revenge of the Sith between that from, and a new hope. from a New Hope yeah and that it's about ten years prior to that to Phantom well it's Menace. ten well Phantom Menace to Attack of the Clones is ten years right yes because that Anakin three years. nine yes yeah so so that's ten thirty. 40 that means this clone of yoda would have been created 10 years before the phantom menace if we go with the idea that it's a one 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 birthday a year type thing because obviously we know that the clones can have um speedy growth accelerated thank you accelerated development so if we go down the path that there isn't this yoda clone would have had to have been created 10 years before the phantom menace Mm. it it makes sense to me and i'm not going to say the words i did earlier well, one one thing that for, I remember from the, the episode as well is that the bounty has been outstanding for 50 years. Yeah. Which means he's older than that. Yeah. What, what, what you have to think about as well, actually, is, is, is what was Exegol for and how long had that been in planning? Mm. Well, yeah. I mean, Palpatine, we first met Palps in The Phantom Menace. And we know that Plagueis was his mentor way before then. So it could have been something that Plagueis did, potentially. Don't know? Mm-hmm. And do we think that, obviously we know that the High Republic is set 200 years before, is it before A New Hope or is it before A Phantom Menace? Ooh. They said 200 years before the Skywalker saga. Now, if you're going along the path of it being set... So that's 200 years before Phantom Menace, right? So we could end up having Darth Plagueis talking about cloning and this, that, and the other in that particular setup, which could link in quite nicely to the cloning of the child from Yoda, potentially. I am making this up as I'm going along, guys and listeners, if you haven't figured that out. But you never know. I mean, that could be an interesting way they're going to take the the High Republic storyline. What do you guys think? Or do you think that's a bit of a stretch? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm now thinking 
Um, in The Phantom Menace, we're introduced to a young Anakin. How old is Anakin? He's three, four, yeah. In The Phantom Menace, Anakin's oh, Phantom Menace. ten. Yeah, he's ten. He's ten. 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 He's ten. Yeah. ten. Same, so, same so, age so, as Baby Yoda. Yes. <laughs> That's where I'm going with that. Ooh, okay. And he was a creation by Palpatine which could have come about through cloning as well as manipulation of the Force. He had a mum. He did have a mum, but it doesn't, mean he, it doesn't mean the genetic material came from his mum. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, when you think of surrogate parents, they're not, you know. Yeah. Um, you, can, you can implant a, an egg into anybody. A female, but yeah. <laughs> Well, <laughs> anyone with the ability to hold the child, the child. I was going to say, if you put that, if well, you put that into a dude, experts, we're uh... <laughs> biological experts. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but but taking it back to the Mandalorian rather than science, although well, then again, it is connected to a certain extent. Um, I think going going back to the whole. Well, to go back to what you said, you've, you've got the creation of a baby Yoda around the same time as the creation of a baby Anakin. Yeah. Maybe they're around. another false dyad. Anakin and baby Yoda are a false dyad. There you go. <laughs> another one. Um... Nope. <laughs> oh, I've completely lost track of thought with that but conversation. What, what you're but... saying is all about, about it being... If, if it is a clone, mm. and when would they've got the genetic material to have done that? If you think yeah. Joe, Yoda had been around for 900 years, they've had plenty of chance to, to harvest his genetic material. Mm. Well, he's a young man, if you think about it. If it's like, he's, like, he's 50 years before... 50 years before of that particular... Well, Yoda would be 850 years old, so quite sprightly compared to 900, I'd imagine. But. <laughs> well, he was 900... The Empire Strikes Back. Of, of, yeah, and Return of the Jedi. So yes, this is only... Yeah. Oh, uh, he's 855. Yeah. Yeah. But still, so yeah, the, yeah, true, true. A lot of time to get hold of his DNA somehow. Mm. Interesting. All right, I look forward to seeing how they uh, they bring that up in future conversations. That's, or that's, indeed they'll... clone. Well, there is that. Either that or, uh, well, yeah, that's getting into the whole Palpatine territory, but yeah. I think as well, sorry, that the High Republic in the trailer, there's something that, that looks like another baby Yoda out there. Because obviously Yoda came from somewhere. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Still well, that was... knocking about. Well, we've seen him in Yaddle, so we know there's more than one. Oh, that's for certain. Well, there was also the, the same species was in Knights of the Old Republic. Mm. It was one of the training masters on Dantooine. So maybe he isn't a clone. Maybe he's just an offspring of that particular species. And if we take the assumption that Yoda, Yaddle, and the one from the Old Republic were full sensitive, that maybe just that species are inherently full sensitive. Mm. Or just, just, yeah, or have a higher... Midichlorian count, you know. Yeah, chance, chance of it, yeah. And that's another way to bring in midichlorians. 
because we know everybody loves them from the prequels. So I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually thinking about putting a poll on our Twitter feed. What do you prefer more? A Palpatine coming back as a clone and having cloning for years or the midichlorians? I think that'd be quite an interesting, uh, interesting Twitter poll. Um, but going back to the Mandalorian, <laughs> um, and, and kind of just wrapping up on this piece about um, the child, I think it's going to be interesting where they take season two because he's basically become his, his dad and, and, you know, he's going to look after him for want of a better word. So I'd, I'd be keen to see where they take it. Is he going to become a bounty hunter again, the way it's kind of alluded to, is he going to completely walk away from it? And how would, how is that actually going to influence the story for, you know, for, for, for season two? Well, I'm guessing he's going to continue to be hunted, isn't he? Because the moth who, appeared at the very in the final episode yeah and i'm not gonna lie of all the things that we've seen in this particular show that ending with him and the dark saber i didn't like it um and the reason being and i know how they've kind of potentially could link it in with you know as we mentioned earlier on with sabine and darth maul and blah 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 and I don't know, I just found it way too convenient for him to have that. Now, this could potentially be explored in the Clone Wars of the Battle of Mandalore and, and whatnot. So if that gets explained, then fine, I might, personally anyway, I might accept it a little bit. But when I saw him break out of that TIE fight with the Darksaber, I literally kind of gave the Darth Vader from the end of um, Revenge of the Sith, like, no, because I, I, I have no idea why. It just didn't sit well with me. And I think I'm in the minority, you know. Um, Mary, you've obviously seen some of the Clone Wars as well and, and, and Rebels and whatnot. I mean, when you saw him come out with the Darksaber, I mean, did that prod any thoughts or feelings? Yeah, I didn't like it either. I mean, I knew immediately what it was. And yeah, I'm like, that doesn't belong to you. Yes, that's exactly what, how I, I mean, if they do explain it, then, 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 then great. But when it happened, yeah, I felt exactly the same. I was like, how have you got this? this? This literally doesn't make sense now. But the thing is, he couldn't... Okay, going back to what you said a minute ago about maybe the final episode of The Clone Wars will explain how he's got it. Except we already know that the, the Darksaber reappears in Rebels. So he must have got it after the Rebels episodes. Yes. Because it's with Sajin at that point. Is it part of the Mandalorian purging? Well, well, that's that's the way it's positioned, isn't it? He was the the moth who was involved in the purge of Mandalore. Yeah, and that's that's fair, which is why he has the records of who the Mandalorian is. Mm. He knows who the Mandalorian is because he had access to those records. So that's that's that all makes sense. But that makes me wonder what happened to Sabine because at the end of Rebels we saw Ahsoka come to Sabine and basically yes. to him, let's go find Ezra. Let's mm-hmm. said to her, let's go find Ezra. So we know for a well, fact Sabine survived after Return of the Jedi. Well, maybe and we her leave. <laughs> go on, go on, Ali, go on. Well, because we know the ghost is in Rise of Skywalker as well. So we know it is. some yeah. of the crew are there. Well, at least Hera, anyway. Um, well, it might not be. It might be Hera's child by then. 
Yeah. Yeah. True. Yeah, because obviously we see that in Rebels as well. Um, and it's interesting that when you think of Sabine leaving, maybe Sabine leaving caused a weakness in Mandalore, which is why they managed to, 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 to for the purge to happen. I mean, who knows? And hopefully we'll get to see that explained, whether that be in a book, comic, or you never know, maybe in a TV show on Disney. Yeah, yeah, maybe that can happen in a flashback scene in The Mandalorian, potentially. Would that work, a flashback scene? There seems to be becoming quite a thing. I mean, we obviously get flashbacks throughout The Mandalorian of him uh, during the Clone Wars, actually, where he gets rescued by The Mandalorians. Um, and therefore, we know that they use these flashbacks as a storytelling mechanism. Potentially, there could be something to do with that in Season 2. I think that'd be quite cool. What do you think, guys? Yeah, no, for me, that's one of the things I'm, I'm hoping season two explores. It, it explores what happened to Mandalore. What was the purge? That's been mentioned. It was mentioned a few times, but we don't know what it means. You can infer <laughs> what it means. But... Yeah, uh, the name's so very descriptive, you, but yeah. If you want the Darksaber, you have to beat its owner in a duel to get it. Mm-hmm. So are we thinking maybe this moth just beat her? And took it? Well, no, because if you think back to the Clone Wars, the only way you get is if you... Don't you have to kill them? Mm. Well, maybe he got it legitimately. So what are we thinking? Sabine gave the Darksaber to somebody on Mandalore before she went off searching for Ezra. This moth then defeated that person? But, but when, when did the purge occur? Yeah, exactly. exactly. We don't know. Did Sabine... Oh, I, I don't know now. I'm trying to remember what mm-hmm. happened in Rebels. Did Sabine leave the Darksaber on the planet when she left? I'm literally just thinking that as well, Reen. Did he literally she, just go and get it? Like, I think she did. I think she left it with... The Didn't she give it to... Mandalore. Yeah. Uh, she, um, left, she left it with um, Thingy's sister. Yes. Satine's sister, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's who she left it with, because her fight was with the rebels rather yeah. than with the Mandalorians. Yeah, and she gave it so to she, Sabine's so she, yeah. uh, so she the dark stuff. stuff there. It's a rally yeah. point. So mm. it could be that the Empire then decided to after after everything that we saw in Rebels. I mean, obviously, we're now making up our own fan fiction here. But <laughs> head cannon at its finest. Exactly. It could be that the Empire then descends upon Mandalore, decimates the planet. Rem- the remnants of, of Mandalorians scatter, which is why you have cells such as the Mandalorians, which are all almost covert, in hiding, because they're fearful of what the Empire did to their planet, mm. which would be the Purge. Didn't she and, give to... Sorry, Bo. No, 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 no I, was just, I was just going to say, and, uh, potentially then the, the, the Darksaber was taken as a spoils of war by an Imperial officer. Not necessarily one legitimately, but taken from the corpse of somebody that had been destroyed following an aerial bombardment. Is, is Wikipedia reliable? For the most part. Can be, yeah. Yeah, not all the time. Okay. 
Why? It just says that she gave it over to this Bo-Katan. Yes. Whom she yeah, deemed to be rightful. And that yeah. a, by 980Y, the weapon fell into the hands of Moff Gideon. Yes. Yeah, Bo-Katan is Yeah. Yeah. She's by... Katie Sackhoff. Yeah, yeah. Oh, is she? Yeah. Another science fiction legend. Uh, but anyway, um, ha- this this is actually a good segue because what I wanted to get from you guys was some thoughts around what you're expecting, hoping for in season two. So it seems as though some sort of explanation, resolution to this dark saber conundrum to a certain extent. Is there anything else in particular? I'm going to go around the table one at a time to see what exactly you think you'd like to see from season two. Meryl, I'm going to start with you on that one. <laughs> um, Put you on the spot. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I'd be happy with seeing anything, to be frankly honest with you, and not to be like, oh, well, she's getting out easy. Um, but honestly, just more adventures of him... Finding the child's uh, clan, so to speak, and mm-hmm. you know, discovering more of the child and um, the saber. I mean, there's so many tidbits that they left us that, I mean, it, the possibilities are endless, to be frank. And I would not be adverse to seeing all of them. <laughs> I just <Okay>. want more. <laughs> just more. Just more Mandalorian. That's all I want. Cop out. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Contrary, what are you thinking in season two? I'm going to take a contra- contrary perspective here Next. and ignore oh, your fun. I'm going to ignore it. I, I, because we haven't had season one here in the UK, which, which is kind of good in a way because it means we have less time between season one and season two. But I think it will be interesting to see what the impact of The Mandalorian is in the UK and if it's the same as it was in the States. So, for example, Disney Plus hasn't necessarily brought out that much big content other than the Mandalorian so far in the States. And it'll be interesting to see the reception it gets here. I'm not sure if you're aware, but Cineworld, for example, are offering people that have unlimited passes a chance to watch the first two episodes in the cinema, which is really, really really cool. But it shows you what a push Disney and... Well, probably Disney are leading on that, uh, putting on that in terms of getting the subscriptions from this because it was such a tremendous success. So I think it'll be interesting to see how that plays out here. And then for the second series, well, I think I just I want to see more quality storytelling. Um, I want to be surprised. That's what I want to be. I want to be surprised by it and be interested, which I was in the first season. So more of that. Dave, what are your hopes and dreams for season two? A bit of what Mira and Ali have said, to be fair. Um, what I really liked about The Mandalorian was the, the <clears throat> how well written it was and how well put together it was. And so the first thing I want to see is a continuation of a solid story that still pushes new ideas and new thoughts. So I, I want it to continue in the same vein it's already it's already 
produced. Um, but I also am hoping to find out more about the fate of Mandalore and what Yoda child thing is. Okay. I suppose for me, I'm going to take the easier route out like Mera. More of the same, please. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's, it's a fun TV show. Um, I think that, that's the first thing that I found. It's very enjoyable. Um, does it take itself too seriously? Absolutely not. Um, but does it get serious when it needs to? Yeah, it totally does. Um, so we've got, we've got a, a combination here of, of good story, good setting, good characterization as well. Um, and for me, one thing that I do want to see more, as well as having the exploration of Darksaber and a bit more about the child, but I want to see more about the other Mandalorians. Um, you know, we were introduced to them in the first couple of episodes. Um, and for those of you that are curious, uh, we did a episode one to three where we deep dive a little bit more into about those particular episodes in 27th of November. So go back in the feed, have a little look. That's when we released it. Um, but I want to see more about them. You know, there's clearly a, a cult, a collective, a gathering of, <clears throat> of these Mandalorians. Um, and we need to see that explored a bit more. They clearly have a lot of them. Um, and, you know, it's interesting hearing the characterizations because, again, I know we, we, we did discuss it on that podcast, but it was very much like the Clone Wars. Um, and, you know, with the new season cropping up, maybe we'll get to see a little bit more in the Clone Wars as well. But, <clears throat> but with the new season of the Mando, um, I am hoping we explore a little bit more about the Mandalorian culture. Um, because as we do find out, being a Mandalorian, and this is one of the big revelations for me, being a Mandalorian in this particular clan it isn't about bloodline. It's the way. Um, you know, this... Oh, this so sorry to interrupt you there. I remember from the Karen Travis novels, mm. that was the way it was portrayed as well. That the Mandalorian culture was taken from, to some extent, waifs and strays sometimes. Mm. And the Mandalorian would adopt a child and indoctrinate them into the way. Except it wasn't phrased as the way. It was indoctrination about, into the way of life of Mandalorians. Mm. Sorry. Yeah, no, I, I thought that was really clever, though, the way that they called them foundlings from the off. And it was only really towards the latter part of the series. I really started to go, oh, Foundling, as in found child. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. I thought they did quite a clever job of hiding that in plain sight. A bit like the way the uh, Jedi call them the younglings. Yeah. I, I've heard the term foundling before, and, and that's what it means. So it, it, when I heard that, it made sense. And maybe because of the, the Karen Travis yeah. thing. Yeah, it's interesting because that, that those series of novels by Karen Travis were obviously incredibly popular, so mm. much to the point where she actually had a. For those of you that haven't read the books, um, she actually had like a dictionary uh, translation, as it were, because they used the, they were using Mandoan language, I think it was called. Um, so there were phrases that they were using in the book that were then translated in the back of like an appendix, which explained what the words meant, which was really cool. So there was quite this kind of cult following. Um, but then obviously her interpretation of Mandalorian was different to what came before it in the other novels and the other comics as well. Um, and it seems as though 
Disney Lucasfilm have now taken a combination of what was set before that, what was taken in that, and just kind of mashed it all together um, to say that it's not necessarily blood. It's just a way of life. Um, but I'm sure in Rebels and indeed the Clone Wars, there was a, an expression that Mandalorian was a bloodline more than anything. Well, Dave, you, yeah. I think it was it was positioned as Mandalorian space, wasn't it? So you had Mandalore itself as a planet, but then yes. you had a number of planets that sat around Mandalore that that Mandalore looked after, and it, they were all Mandalorian. Yeah, because wasn't it the um, oh, what was that clan that got banished to one of the planets in Clone Wars? Um, and then they came back and took over because the Mandalorian way was about was fighting. Death, um, Sorry. Yeah, what you were saying, Dave, wasn't not that the Death Squad? Or? The Death Squad, yeah, that pre Vizsla. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, so they were kind of banished to this planet um, because they didn't lay down their arms. Death Watch. That's it. Death Watch. Death Watch. Um, yeah. Yeah, so they, you know, because they were the that, they were the fighting race, as often that's what they called themselves. Whereas Mandalore became a a planet of peace, um, which is obviously where where it all kicked off after that. So again, they've kind of taken a mixture of approaches to what Mandalorian kind of is, and, and dare I say it in a different way, but similar to the way that they've interpreted how Bloodline is with the Jedi and Skywalkers. But anyway, I don't want to go down that path. So it was quite an interesting take um, on, on how things are. Anything else that we have potentially missed as a discussion point, guys? Conscious of time. What, what, okay, one thing I loved about The Mandalorian towards the end, in I think it must have been episode seven, I think, where you had two scout troopers. It might have been the <laughs> episode eight. Yeah, and the two scout troopers taking pot shots, and I just thought that was hilarious for me. But what what I enjoyed about that was that you'd already seen the two scout troopers previous in the episode, like sat at the gateway to mm. to the the settlement, and you'd seen it from the soldiers perspective if that makes sense it was just two soldiers on guard duty just chatting amongst themselves oh, i don't know who this is he's like oh, he's some great big bloke i don't know he's like yeah well i don't know what that's going to mean to my life and, and it was it was just two ch- soldiers chatting whilst on guard duty it, and, it and reminded me of robot chicken yes yes it really did but slightly more serious but not yeah yeah <laughs> And and then when you then took it to the pair of them taking pot shots, as if and and even to the point where one of them looks at his gun as if to say, mm. "What's wrong with my gun?" <laughs> and then of course the hate that followed with those particular stormtroopers for punching Baby Yoda. <laughs> <laughs> I must have. I thought that was a bit brutal. Uh, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm sorry, but they're they're imperial troops. What do you expect? <laughs> Well, it's a miss. Well, exactly. Swinging a miss and punching Baby Yoda, but um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> those two, those two um, scout troopers, 
encapsulated what being an Imperial soldier was. Being a bad shot, a bit of a bully, and on garrison duty on boring planets. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that's the Imperial sphere. Yeah. Yeah. I hadn't really thought about it like that. I just thought they were horrible men for punching a child. But, oh, they are. Um, well, they're that as well, I suppose. Yeah, they can, they can be both. Um, but, uh, do you know, I'm quite interested, sorry, just because it's been a bit distant. Mera, a while ago you said you had a few little issues with the Mandalorian. Hmm. What were they? Oh, uh, well, <laughs> it might take more time than we have, but... Uh... <laughs> oh, wow. That doesn't sound like us taking longer. Wow. <laughs> no, no, but there's a time on it for Alex. Um, so, <laughs> and I'm too polite to push, be pushy. <laughs> Today. Go from there, go on. <laughs> okay. Um, there were, I think we all have our favorite episodes and maybe our least favorite episodes. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, I liked the gunslinger. It brought us back home. Um, of course, that. Um, I like what happened to the 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 rookie. <laughs> what an annoying person. Um. But, yeah, I mean, I don't want to... It's going to take too long. But... <laughs> no, no, please. Like, just, it's interesting. Yeah, definitely, Mary Gosher, yeah. Um, uh, uh, now I don't even know where to start. Uh, <laughs> just these... Um, yeah, I see what you say about the sand people, Dave. It did seem a little out of character, mm. as brutal, uh, not talking to people. But then again, it seems like Mandalorian had previous uh, interactions with them. So how else would he speak the language, so to speak? Yeah. But that did seem a little odd to me. Uh, it, was, it almost felt a little bit too co- comedic. Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, I did like the way the uh, stormtroopers uh, were still hanging on trying to be brutes, but still it was um, a surprising element for me was uh, Herzog. He was uh, fantastic. I have to say I don't like really grand uh, the moth. Moth. Yeah, or I don't even... I hate to say this, but I love Apollo Creed, but uh, but his um, what's his character's name in this? In the Mandalorian, Gil Grant? No, because with a G, doesn't it? Yeah, I just call him Apollo Creed as well. So uh, yeah, it's called Carl Withers. Carl Withers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Withers. I have to say, he only redeemed him. His character only redeemed himself at you know do the magic hands, baby. <laughs> uh, for some reason, I feel like we're using him to his full potential, and then he got whiny when he got hurt, and you know, and, and Cara Dune was just perfect. She goes, "Oh, quit whining," or something like that. So it just seems sort of well. Maybe that was his character. Maybe I expected him to be more Apollo Creed, and here I'm sitting him, and he's kind of loathsome. <laughs> he is. He, he'll play the ends against each other, doesn't he? Yeah. Yeah, because, uh, yeah. At one at one moment, he's like he's all for bringing in the Mandalorian, 
Yeah. And then he's he's quite happy to then turn it around mm. because his view is my city, my settlement, my way of life is now under mm-hmm. threat. So and his I name have... is his name is Grief Cargo. Grief, uh, grief, grief. That is grief. Yeah, yeah. Sure. Well, and I good think, name. <laughs> yeah, right. And I have to say, probably episode six, my least favorite. I mean, that just seemed they were all individual stories, but the the heist to get the prisoner out um, was just. Just seemed off to me. Well, that was, one doesn't tie okay. into any of the others, it does doesn't. it? Were we just yeah. like showcasing <clears throat> talent <throat> from other places? And uh, I know he needed a job, so this was something he had reached out to do. Uh, I don't know. I didn't really like that one. And Stop, then just quick. The hissing Twi'lek? I'm like, what the hell? Leave that out. Mm. Yeah, but, I agree with the, yeah, the Twi'lek thing. The licking really of the mm, I've never seen that. I know we've only seen glimpses of Twi'leks, Twi'leks in, in, in Star Wars, but have they had a history of hissing? I've never seen that before. No, it's probably just that family. They're bizarre anyway. Mm. Mm. That is true. I do have one question for you guys, actually, just very quickly on that particular episode. At the end of the episode, we know that he goes after each of them one at a time. And then basically leaves the planet. Anybody else think he killed them all rather than throwing them into a prison cell? No, it wasn't his way. That the way it was positioned with some of them, I really like the 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 the, the, the guy from the Zabrak. No, he wasn't Zabrak, was he? He was um, I can't remember what creature he is, but the really strong dude. Where he's uh, kind of trapped him in the door, I thought, mate, he might. I thought he might have just killed it. And when he didn't kill him, and I saw him at the end, I was like, oh, okay, okay, he's, he's actually a nice guy. But maybe that was just me. <laughs> you had seen him kill in the very first episode, hadn't you? Yeah, and he takes that stormtrooper right, like the right to the doorway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But after seeing him slightly more humanized uh, throughout the rest of the episodes, I don't know. At that point, I was like, oh, he surely hasn't killed them. Oh, he might have done. No, he hasn't. That's fine. But. But he froze his, his prey, so... Mm. Well, maybe that was just to bring him home. I liked the way he did it. I think what gave it away for me was the guy with the weird gun behind his shoulder. What was that? Oh, the, predator, the guy with the predator gun. Yeah. 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 And when he turned around, he was like, no! And I, I just knew right then <laughs> that he wasn't going to... He was like, darn it, you caught me. <laughs> anyway, that gave it away for me that he didn't kill them. <laughs> okay. With that being said, this is a good time uh, to wrap up today's Mandalorian review show. And I'm actually going to say that because this is actually what we've done. We haven't strayed off topic. Well, we did a little bit, actually, let's be honest. Uh, but for the most part, we stuck to the script. Uh, and then next time around, listeners, you'll get a couple of shows where we'll be talking about, obviously, the Rise of Skywalker book. But we will also come back to the continuing Clone Wars, uh, which is incredibly enjoyable. Uh, and I think collectively we're agreeing it, agreeing it's a pretty good show so far. Um, so with that being said, listen, thank you very much for listening to the Jedi Council. I'm going to ask our esteemed members for their final thoughts of the day. Dave, final thoughts, mate. Looking forward to our next podcast. We don't do enough of these. <laughs> Absolutely. Mera, final thoughts from you. Uh, yes, I have to agree with uh, Dave and look forward to our next one when we talk about the Clone Wars. Very good stuff. Mm. Mr. Contrary, some final thoughts from yourself, mate. Yeah, I thought The Mandalorian was a real return to form for Star Wars. Um, 
gave a lot of fans a lot of hope for the future of a of a franchise or saga or whatever you want to call it. It's been divided for a long time. So I think I think universally that was really really positive. Um, I think the next week is going to be very interesting for star wars fans as more information comes out from the book i think it gets released in the states before here so i I think there'll be a lot more spoilers coming out in the next few days which i think people will broadly support but some will probably dislike and i think it's going to be really really interesting week for star wars okay and final thoughts from me. Really enjoyed The Mandalorian. Um, looking forward to seeing it on my big TV, um, like I said earlier on, when it comes out on Disney Plus here in the UK. And, yeah, season two can't come quick enough, which I think is October of this year, guys. Correct me if that's wrong. Uh, yeah. Yeah, October of 2020. Looking forward to that. We think that's what Bob Iger said. Well, he's not in charge anymore, so it might Yeah, change. so that's Do why we're not sure. <laughs> but we think... And that is us, ladies and gentlemen. We are the Jedi Council. Thank you very much for listening to us for the last hour and a half, just over, uh, from our podcast perspective. Uh, you can find us on www.the-jedi-council.com. If you want to interact with us, we are on Twitter, at the Jedi underscore council. On Instagram, we are at the Jedi underscore council underscore TJC. We are on Facebook, TJC underscore the Jedi underscore council. Uh, if you want to listen to our back catalogue, like and subscribe all of our podcasts, we are on the iOS podcast app. We are on Spotify. We are on SoundCloud. We are on Player.fm. We are on Podbean. We are on quite a few other podcast uh, tools that I can't remember the names of. So look us up on that. We, If you haven't heard, we now have a YouTube channel as well with some excellent content on the way for you guys. Don't forget to like, subscribe, hit the little bell so you get the notifications of when you know we're bringing you fresh content. And remember, may the force be with you. Remember, the force will be with you.